<laughs> too much to do in too little time. Okay, are you ready? Yes. I'll Hi, do. this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today we are joined by Kenneth Liu, a co-founder and the CEO of Seedly to the show. We're welcoming Kenneth to the show. Kenneth, thank you so much for sitting in my virtual garage today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. And thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. I was listening to Mark Maron. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mark Maron's podcast. It's called WTF. I don't think I have to translate what that means. But a lot of people actually drive up, and Obama actually did this. They drive up to his house or drive up to a street and go into his garage, which, with, which is his studio, and they chat to him. So I feel like this is my mm -hmm. virtual garage. Anyway, thanks for doing this. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, some, and at some point, I will have you in a studio in Singapore for sure. So we'll do that too. Anyway, before we get to the main part of our conversation, I want to get a little bit of your background just to give me some context. For sure. Yeah. Ha happy to share a little bit about what I've been working on uh, for a large chunk of my life so far. Also, I, I think when it comes to uh, my upbringing here in Singapore, it's yeah. a very unique place to grow up. Tell me. Because of uh, yeah, the way that you know education system is structured and how it tries to nurture entrepreneurs, but also do it in a very academic and very rigorous way. Yeah. So I'm 29 going 30 this year, and I've been working on Sydney for the best part of the last six to seven years now. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's, it's been a while, yeah. <laughs> and I think the cool thing is that we started Sydney in uh, sort of like also a garage in some sense. We started in our dorm room uh, yes. back in NUS. At NUS, okay. So my co-founder and I, we were both uh, students of the Overseas Colleges Program, which is essentially a school that is designed for entrepreneurs housed within um, Singapore's, one of Singapore's top universities. Yeah, so that was how we started. And I, I guess the problem came along because finance was always the thing that we were passionate about. And we feel that a lot of young people have problems with their finances. So yeah, that's a long story short. A lot of people have problems. A lot of young people have problems with their finances. So this is one of those things where I say, like, how come they don't teach you that in school? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's such an <laughs> exactly, integral part yeah. of your life. Like, how much money you have, what that money's actually worth, where the money comes from, what money really is. I want to ask mm -hmm. you this, though, because I've never heard anybody put this in, into this context. And just for your knowledge, my first time in Singapore was December 1990. Wow. Yeah, before you were born, apparently. Before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to understand this, right? Because back then, Singapore was still kind of at the end of its manufacturing of electronic stages, right? Like creative technology was still, was still like a real company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously now it's turned more into a financial center. So by the time you were at university at NUS, which is probably the best university in Singapore, if not in the top one, <laughs> I don't know how to say it right the right way. Yeah. But what was it that interested you so much in being an entrepreneur? And also the other question is, why do you think that there's such a rigorous attempt in Singapore to birth entrepreneurs? Mm. Yeah, it's a great point you, you, you brought up, Michael. And you correctly pointed out that in 1990 to, I would say, the early part of 2000s, yeah. Singapore has been very much a manufacturing hub. So there was there were a lot of semiconductor industries yep. here. Um, you had... Apple, who were building their first phones here in Singapore before moving over to Malaysia. 
And I would say that really shown the power of how an environment can really shape industries and people because, you know, the policies are very, very friendly towards having enterprises come to Singapore to be their regional HQs. And since then, the knowledge economy has shifted. Web, the web came about. So web 1.0, web 2.0, and now web 3 as well. But in, in that sort of tsunami of, of tech, the government saw that there was a very important need to have local startups and individuals taking risks uh, because we have very good resources when it comes to knowledge and when, when it comes to training up entrepreneurs. So there, therein lies the, the wave of like the next level of innovation and you have like Carousel, you have like Shopback, yep. you have like uh, all the early signs, right? Like, so you, have, you had Grab recently who went for an IPO. So those guys started like just 10 years ago. So I would say that's like the wave that we are right now on. And then there will be a next wave. I'm very sure of that as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, all we need is a few more exits in Singapore and the rest of Southeast Asia to create that base of money where founders who have exited say, I want to take some money and not just give it back, but reinvest it into the environment that helped create me, if that's fair, right? And you're right. We had companies mm -hmm. like Redmart, which we don't talk about that much mm -hmm. anymore. One of the original innovators in the e-commerce space and also Luxola in the... Yes. Not fashion, in the makeup space. I can't remember what that's called. Cosmetic space. I don't use a lot of makeup, yeah. so fair enough. I, I'm allowed to forget that. But yeah. back when you started, right? What what year was it? 2016, 2015? You were still in school. Yes. Yeah? Yes, I was in my last semester. Uh, but prior to doing that, I was actually hanging around a lot at um, this place in Singapore called Block 71. I was going to ask. Not sure if... Yeah. Block 71. So I've been there. So I, that's what I wanted to ask you. Did you go to Block 71? Did you sit there and see like Wavemaker's office, you mm -hmm. know, go up to the third floor and look at all of the venture capitalists that are there, but also all of the companies that were founded there? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was spending a lot of time there, uh, more level two. So <laughs> level two, there's this hot desk uh, area where you had um, Carousel when they were a three-man team. Right. Uh, you had Shopback when they were like a two-man team. Uh, and, you know, the likes, I think there was Zopim there as well. Um, they were hanging around a lot at Block 71 and also on, on campus. Yeah. So I think the, the long and short of it is that it was a very, very targeted approach from the government yeah. to actually create a space where people could come and fail and, and experiment. So it was my last semester, sorry, it was my semester before entering university when I went there and looked for internships. So I was, I was over there knocking on doors, talking to people, asking if I could come and work for free, right? And majority said no, uh, but you know, there were one or two that said, hey, why not? Uh, but from there, I had an idea to another thing, which was um, two startups before Sydney. So I was working on little projects on the side, tr trying to, to work with all these startup entrepreneurs and all, yeah. But where did you come under this impression that young people didn't understand how to handle money, right? I think a lot of this is family related at some level, right? Like if your family, and it can go both ways, right? Your family can be wealthy, but you still as a kid may not understand like where that money comes from or what to do with it. And frankly, if your family's poor, you may actually be better mm -hmm. at it because you have limited resources and you have to figure out how to manage it. But somewhere in the middle, right? I think where most people sit, it's like, there's a little bit of money there. It's not enough to invest, so I'm just going to spend it kind of thing. Like, what was the idea that you and your roommate had? Or mm. your co-founder? Yeah, I think... Had, to, excuse me. 
Yeah, exactly. To your point, uh, which you brought up on the idea of upbringing and, you know, in a very Asian context, yep. um, money is often a very taboo topic. Sure. So it's not often brought up in dinner conversations. It's not often brought up in lunch conversations uh, and let alone school, right? So you, you're not taught any of this in your schooling days. Not that it really mattered also because the context is important. Um, so if you don't have a lot of capital to invest, if I taught you that in school, it will also not mean a lot because you can't actually do the investments or you can't actually get a credit card, for example, Fair enough. or invest your CPF, right? So all these things only make sense when the time comes. And most of the time it's when you start working, okay. you get your first paycheck and then you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. when I, I remember when I got my first paycheck. I knew exactly what I was going to do with it. Start paying off my student loans. I, I, mm -hmm. I want to ask you this though. You started when you were twenty four. So have you ever had a job at like a company or not really? Right? Because yeah, you've never had a job. This is this is it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, if you if you think of a national service as a job, then I yeah, I would that. say that's a, in some sense it, it is a job like a corporate hierarchy it of, is, of but command no choice yeah. around it, right? You didn't say, well, exactly. I'm going to work at UOB or I'm going to work at OCPC or I'm going to work no, at Citigroup. Yeah. The government said, you're going to be in the civil, <laughs> in the service. Yeah. And you just had to decide like which part of the military service you were going to do. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So in terms of a formal job, no, I've, I've not had a formal job, but I would say it's also a little bit of that naivety, right? Um, going out there and trying and figuring out along the way yeah, which is which has been helpful so far. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I don't think anybody should ever have a job, to be fair. I had one for the longest <laughs> time and it practically destroyed my soul, which I say a lot. <laughs> so what, what was the idea yeah. around Seedly? And did you so you birthed us at school, but did you actually work at Block 71 at any time working on Seedly? Because mm -hmm. that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so if I were to sort of go back to the story a little bit. Uh, I met my co-founder in the Valley. So he was actually there doing a year program at Stanford. And then I was there just visiting, you know, as any tech nerds would do. Uh, the Computer History Museum is a must, right? So I was there for three weeks, uh, just bumming around, just trying to, to talk to as many, yeah, any people, uh, as many people as possible. And that was amazing because one of the persons that I met was him. And from that whole experience, uh, we basically came back uh, he was actually working on this idea to help people track their money on on phone okay. in an automated way. So we could pull transactions from your bank statements and sort of help you visualize where your money is going. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was like the starting point where I knew some investors from my previous experience doing uh, another startup prior. So the first investor was East Ventures, Wales from East Ventures. He was yeah. like, you know, I'm going to fund you like $80,000. I don't, I don't care what you're going to do. Just do something with it. And then we were on our way. Yeah. It's always that awkward period between like, is it just a project or is it like a job? Right. So then it became like, okay, this is serious now. So we're going to, we're going to actually double down on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just looking at my whiteboard. It says like starts as a, starts as a hobby, ends up as a project, morphs into a business kind of thing. Right. You just don't Exactly. Know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was, I would say, large chunk of the early days. And to your point, we also did work at uh, the Launchpad, but we were at Block 77 yep. because we actually joined Shopback for a while as well. It's Fair quite enough. a funny story there. Yeah. Tell me. 
essentially we were raising our uh, our seed round, like seed series A round. And um, back then, my co-founder was actually the first um, software engineer intern in Shopback. So there, there was a connection there because we were both helping people save money. Right. Um, for Shopback, it was more to help them understand how to save while spending. So right. you get cashback. Yep. For us, it's about how do you save and invest. So we decided to come together, but our brand remained intact all the way through to two years ago where we actually joined another group. So we were actually sort of um, resold in some sense, or rather we, we changed ownership to a Hong Kong-based group this time. Yeah. What does that mean? Wait, so were you part of Shopback before? Did I misunderstand that? We were, we were, yeah. So we were actually wholly owned uh, only two years into our journey, which was quite quick. Yeah, so we actually sold first time to Shopback, the group that was in 2018. Okay. And then in 2020, which is uh, two years ago, right. uh, we were actually sold from Shopback to Compare Asia Group, which is now called Hyphen Group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what does that mean though? So how many people are on your team and do you run it separately from the rest of the Hyphen Group or what's the status? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we run entirely as individual brands. So we have our own tech team, we have our own marketing team, our own commercial team. Uh, our total size is about 25. And then in the group side of things, there's about 400 of us oh across Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, uh, Philippines. Yeah. That's interesting. And at some level, I guess you have to have some kind of benefit from the scale of having a group that has 400 people in it. There's got to be best practices or human resources mm -hmm. and stuff like that that benefit you. Yeah. So, so yeah. what exactly does Seedly do? Like, how does it work? Who uses mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So we've evolved quite a bit since the very start. So initially we started off as an expense tracker sort of tool, yep. but along the way we've evolved into more like a community content platform where users can come, they can share reviews about financial products they've been using. They can share their thoughts and discussions around, you know, how to get out of debt, how to invest their money, and everything in between. So credit cards, loans, so all things around finance, uh, we would likely have conversations happening on, on the Sydney platform itself. So are you a media company? It's a UGC company. So UGC stands for user generated, user -generated content. content. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I would say we are not a media company, but we do create content, but there's also like leveraging of what users are saying to create the content alongside us. Yeah. So what's the business model? Are you making money off of people watching that content? Do you have your own YouTube channel? Like, how does that work? Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of advertising and also what we call as a business accounts. Okay. So one part of it is actually just pure play advertising. So by having a lot of eyeballs. So every month we have about more than a million eyeballs in Singapore alone. Um, so that's one big part of it. Uh, and the second part of it is when it comes to FIs or financial institutions or fintech companies who want to engage on the community, we actually charge them a recurring fee every month to manage certain features of the account. Got it. So what's your view on the sort of preponderance of experts on YouTube that are giving out financial advice? You know what I mean? Like people that yeah, don't and, necessarily yeah. know what they're talking about, but feel like they can get a good group of people together and give financial yeah. advice. What's your view on this? Um, not to mention TikTok as well. Like, yeah, um, TikTok is... TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so my view of it is actually quite a unique one. Initially, I was a little bit, a little bit disturbed by that 
yeah. especially in, in 2020, 2021. That was the peak of it. People were having too much time at home. <laughs> uh, you know, in the in the US, they had the what we call STEMIs, the stimulus packages, where everyone was handed out fun coupons, right? Fun coupons to go and invest, like per se. Um, and that's where it sparked the whole, you know, rally in the bull market. The government was printing too much money. Um, but I would say this year alone is where, you know, the start of year, there was this massive crash, right? There's this famous saying of um, the settlers and the tourists. I'm not sure if you've heard of this um, saying. Yeah, so the idea is that a lot of the times when really things go badly, like when things go south, you actually see who are the ones who stay sure. and who are the ones who actually leave, right? Yeah. So the people who stay, who are staying behind are really people who want to ride it out with, with the majority of people and not just stay for the good times or rather like are here for the good times. Yeah. But I would say now in bear markets, you get to see who are the real creators or the content creators out there. Well, sure. I mean, everybody, everybody benefits when there's froth in any market, right? But Exactly. You have to kind of be there yeah. when the market crashes and see who is still there, right? Like when the storm's over, you look around and be like, okay, I know that girl. She's still here. <laughs> she must be smart kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, because... Because it's not easy, right? Like no, users and, and people will comment, yeah. It's super yeah. hard. But like what's important to you? What's the message you're trying to get across to people? If you have a million eyeballs, right? You can have... Just in Singapore, out of what? A population of... I mean, pick a number, 6 million, 7 million, mm -hmm. pick a number. But still, it's a pretty good percentage of the people in Singapore are paying attention, right? And if some of those millions yeah. of people are babies, they're not going to pay attention anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. But the point is, what are, you, what are you trying to get across? What's the message you're trying to get across to these people? And how do you know if it's being effective or not? I think one of the main messages we want to convey is the mission of helping you make smarter and better financial decisions every day. The idea is that you don't need to be an investment banker or a private banker to make financial good financial decisions. You can be an everyday Joe. Uh, and I, we always have this uh, favorite sort of quote is that choosing between a bowl of noodles from the Kopitiam just down the road, which is uh, like a hawker center, or choosing a bowl of ramen that costs you $20, right? That is a financial decision in itself. Yep, it is. Yeah. So mm -hmm. It is, but how do you yeah. know? In other words how do you know or how do you define what a good financial decision is? Because you're right. Like I can go down to a food stall and get killer noodles. I mean, just mm -hmm. killer, you know, for $1.75 or $2.50 or whatever it is. You're right. Or I can go to Ipudo and have like $20 for yeah. noodles. Somewhere in the middle is probably better, but that Ipudo may be tax deductible. It may be a business line. Do you know what I mean? Like how do you know or how do you define what a good financial decision is? is and then yep. how do you convey that message to people so that they can get a better understanding of what it is do you know what i mean mm -hmm. um, i think the way that we look at it is that you need to build up your own financial framework or your own financial principles per se we have yeah we have uh, like a baseline Sidley uh, finance framework that allows people to make sense of the money from the way we see it so we actually broke it down into five pillars Right, there's savings, insurance, investments. Can't remember the other two, but it's a framework that we often let people know that you know this is a good baseline to start off with. But feel free to feel feel free to add on to it or remove or subtract based on your like financial situation. Yeah. So, so did you read the book Principles by Ray Dalio? Yes, I, I saw the summary. I, I didn't read through everything, but I saw a summary of that. Yeah. 
<laughs> is it a good book? It's a yeah. super book. And and I, I highly recommend you read both of them, right? Because it's two. It's about business and about life. Yeah. But the point he's trying to make, and I, it sounds similar in a way to what you're saying or trying to say, and that is, you know, Seedley has principles. You don't have to mm -hmm. abide by all of them, but you have to have your own financial principles. Because if you just go through life with no principles in business, in life, or in your own finances, then... Mm -hmm. You know, like my, my girlfriend in college's father once said to me, you can either live life or let life live you. Yes. And if yeah. you don't have any principles around how you're going to manage your finances, then you're letting your finances live you per se, right? So you don't have to have the same ones that I have, but you have to have something. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, it's very fair. Uh, one of the earliest uh, thoughts that came into our minds when starting Sidley was also the idea where um, to your point, uh, if there's so much distractions around, right? There's a lot of noise uh, when yeah. it comes to money, right? So you have a friend who might tell you or a family member would tell you, say that, hey, why not go and gamble? Because, you know, that's the surest way to getting a million dollars. And then likewise, you have another point of view, which is like a Warren Buffett point of view that you have to stay invested for the long run. Right. You have to dollar cost average when the market is going down. Mm -hmm. yeah, those Those voices shape your decisions and that's just investing. There's also spending, right? So there's spending when it comes to taking public transport versus a Lamborghini or a Mercedes. Yeah, but, you, right? but in you Singapore, really yeah, point, like yeah. I did this yesterday. Mm -hmm. This is actually a real thing. I was at M Courtier for dinner. Okay, it doesn't mean anything to you. The people that live in Bangkok will know what this means. I was at a big, mall, big fancy mall for dinner. Right, one of my buddies mm -hmm. and his wife treated me to dinner. Super nice people. And I know what it costs to get home on the BTS. It's forty-five baht. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it was late. It was like 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to take a grab home. So I pump in yep. grab and it's like 254 baht. And I'm like, it's six times the price yeah. yep. of public transportation. Exactly. And I was like, I can't do that. I just can't do it. Not because I can't afford it, but because the value comparison just doesn't make any sense. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So to that same point, it's really your value system, your financial system, and yeah. So it made the decision for you, right? Because there are principles which Michael has, which may differ from James, might differ from Tom, right? Everyone has a different system who, who might value convenience over price, and then they would just double down on that, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's a financial decision at the end of the day. Yeah. It is though, but I, I guess if you frame kind of so many things that people don't think of as financial decisions as financial decisions over time, they do make sense. Like the Japanese have a saying, right? Chiri ga tsumoru ba yama ni naru, and it just means like if you gather enough dust, it turns into a mountain, right? So this is an important thing to think about when you're talking about your finances. What do you think about recent things that are happening in the financial world like bitcoin and cryptocurrency and just like these recent trends that are happening there's so much news about it right in other words when i was growing up i didn't see ads to buy stock but now i see ads everywhere i go to buy bitcoin and i think for people that aren't involved directly in the financial world it's got to be confusing right like if it's okay to buy it you know it's like here I can buy like a candy bar and some Bitcoin. It just feels weird. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So to, to the point on what trends we're seeing, that is a natural occurrence or rather natural evolution that, that I, I've seen in the last six to seven years that finance is becoming a hundred times more accessible. 
naturally there would be two, two sides of the coin right as as with anything in life uh, but to the point of accessibility it's way easier to just snap a finger say i want to get uh, you know, one stock of, of Apple, one stock of Tesla, or you don't even need to buy one stock. Fractional. You can buy fractionalized. Yep. Yeah. So that's naturally happening. And if you compare that to what's been happening in the crypto world, uh, in essence, it's becoming like a game because, a little uh, bit. yeah, people, you can try to try to win the game by trying to do better than others in the game, which is, you know, what makes humans competitive in, in that sense. So, it's natural that it's happening. There will be a lot of repercussions, but there's also a lot of positives that will that will come up from it. Like I, I fully, fully believe in that as well. Yeah, I mean, look, accessibility, financial literacy, all these things are really important, right? And I think in every transition period, there's going to be bad, lots of bad, right? But even if you go yeah. back and look at the founding of, if you go back and you look at the founding of Wall Street, there was a lot of bad back then too. Exactly. A lot. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of bad today too, but a lot of regulation has taken care of a lot of the badness that was in the markets initially, right? And mm -hmm. I think it's going to happen across the board. So as things get more liberalized and as more people get access to it, they're going to have to be more kind of controls around it. But again, this idea that if you have your own financial principles, it should help you take care of this, I think, more than, more than not. But you're right. Mm -hmm. there's, it's massively gamified. It feels less like an investment market and more like a, I don't know, like a casino market to me. Casino. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, I think investing is just one side of it. I'm not sure if you are familiar with what's happening in the debt space, in the consumer debt. Yeah. So you talk about you like buy now, pay later, like what, which part Exactly. Exactly. To, to that point, right. It's basically a reskin of um, credit cards. So it's a reskin of the same concept, but making it a lot more accessible to, uh, younger audiences, which has its pros, but also has a lot of cons yeah. from that, right? So everything has both sides of the, of, of the coin. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like everything, you know, there's this old saying, right? Everything in moderation, nothing in excess. There's nothing wrong with BNPL. When I was a kid, we used to call it layaway, right? So my mom would go buy something she couldn't afford. She'd pay <laughs> for it four times, and then she'd go pick up the jeans she wanted to buy for me initially. Now it's a slightly oh. different because you can use technology to have it at scale, so there's way more access to it, which means yeah. you just, you're just making different decisions. Again, back to this idea of do I get the noodles at the, at the local hawker stand or do I go to Ipudo and like pay way too much money for ramen? So this is a constant <laughs> battle going back and forth, yeah? Yeah. Sorry, what was the, the, the concept you brought up? Layer it, is it? Layer it. it. Lay away. So what you do is you'd go, I want to buy these pants, but let me lay them off to the side for like a month or six weeks. And every week I'll pay like uh, four, four and a half dollars. And then, you know, six weeks later, I paid what, 24, $27. Now I can get my jeans kind of thing. Yeah. BNPS, yeah. It's exactly the same thing. It's yeah. the same thing. It's just broken up into four payments. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And there's exactly. no interest payment on it, but mm. it's not free either kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like credit, right? I mean, credit card where you you earn from like the 2% interchange fees from the merchants. And then I think there's a different side of the game is that they are trying to win over the market share from credit cards because young people, their first point of credit won't be a credit card anymore. It will right. be a buy now, pay later. So yeah. Things are changing. So like stocks, um, brokerages, I'm sure you are, you might be very familiar, used to charge a very hefty brokerage fee 
for every transaction. <laughs> now it's free, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, but let's yeah. be careful about this too, because I, I I wrote this down in my notes before you got to this, and I, I just wrote down one word, and that word was Robin Hood. So sure, when mm. I first joined, you know, Morgan Stanley in 1987, <laughs> equity commissions, particularly for bulge bracket firms like Morgan, charging institutions were like three or four percent, and you could do these massive portfolio trades and still make two percent on it. Yep. Commissions have collapsed to zero or even for companies paying for flow. Mm -hmm. But I want to be careful about this idea that it's free. Yeah, because it's not really free, right? The it's fun not running free. And, it's just yeah. a tricky way of telling. Because remember, and this is for better or for worse, right? But in the old days, let's say you had 10 institutions did all the, did all the trading on like the New York Stock Exchange, right? But now you can have everybody and their brother doing it. So you can definitely lower the cost, but it also means that the amount of financial literacy that goes into every execution decision or every trading decision is so much lower on average, which means that I can tell you there's no commission on it. You trade mm -hmm. for free. But what I'm not telling you is then that I'm consolidating all your trades into one massive trades and then selling it to Citadel so they know what's happening in the market so they yeah. can make a risk trade decision and make a ton of money and then kick back some of that commission to me, which is to Robinhood, so mm -hmm. your trade is maybe free to you, but actually there's a whole bunch of costs associated with it about which you're not aware. Exactly. Yeah. Me? I mean, that was the big, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Um, okay. So and again, to, to the point we brought up earlier, right? There's always two sides to every piece of innovation. So um, consumers may look at it in one way, but then, then you know, they're not looking at the other side. Uh, another example is credit cards, right? So credit cards, uh, one big topic of the community is that you get all this cash back and rewards and mouse but i think what's not clear to a lot of people is that in fact the people who are not using credit cards are paying for your mouse um, so you're probably aware that you know every merchant charges an additional two percent three percent because they want to cover for the fees sure and yeah so i think that you know there's always one side that is not clear to a lot of people and then people only see the good stuff which is it's uh free money back yeah yeah there's no such thing as free if there's a corporation involved that's a conversation <laughs> for a different time you yeah. do this thing called the seedly personal finance festival mm -hmm. what what was the idea behind like having an event and, and is it online offline and have you been doing this for a while now or is this a new thing you've been doing since covid like just tell me a little bit more about this because i'm curious yeah so the idea for it came about in 2018 uh, okay. when we saw that in Singapore there was a huge uplift in, 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 in the interest around money and like finance. Uh, and specifically, MAS was doing this thing called the FinTech Festival. Yep. Massive. 20,000, 30,000 people show up. It's huge. Exactly. Right. Uh, and to that same point is very B2B focused. So all the all the sponsors all the speakers are telling you to use their apis to yeah, yeah. to use you know it's very it's very commercially focused and it hit us that hey you know there are more consumers than there are businesses at the end of the day yeah right like and shouldn't there be like a platform for uh consumers to come and learn from right so we we thought of like hey why not let's do this consumer finance event and let's make it really objective and not salesy because a lot of consumer finance events turned out to be very, you know, here's what you can do with your money. Here's the top trade to help you ace 
you know, the alpha, right? Yeah. Um, but we want it to be, you know, how do you save money? How do you invest simply and not get scammed? And then we actually charge a fee for it. So we charge like $10. Um, so yeah, the, the first one, we had 1,000 people show up physically, which is massive. Uh, Where did and you do it? The second, we did it at Suntech. So the whole level four, yeah, it's just flooded with people. Were and you surprised by how many people signed up to it? We were, we were, yeah. So we were and we were not in some sense, but uh, because we, we knew we, we ran like 300 packs events, we've run a 500 packs event okay. and we were like, let's try to do a thousand packs event and people actually showed up. So we were like, okay, you know, that's a very clear problem statement that, you know, you, you don't know where to get finance, personal finance information objectively. Right. Yeah. Right. So that was the first year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. That, so the first year went well and then COVID hit. So that was right, like upended all the plans we had in 2020. Uh, so from there on, you know, in 2021 and 2022, which is this year, mm -hmm. we are actually doing it virtually. So virtually we reach like 5,000, 6,000 people concurrently. So it's on the platform that we actually um, got called MySpec and it allows us to interact with audiences as, as though they were physically present with us. What's yeah. the name of the platform? MySpec, M-I-C-E-P-A-D. Yeah, so it's quite interesting because uh, they are also a fellow local startup that basically tried to model closely after virtual platforms like Hopin, like Eventbrite. And yep. yeah, I think that really took off in 2021, 2020, 2021. And then we are rolling with that wave as well. Got it. So when is the when is this year's event taking place? Uh, it's happening on 23rd and 24th of April, which is in a few days' time. From okay, that's soon. When, yeah. yeah, exactly. Interesting. And how many people do you still expect to get? Five or 6,000 people virtually? And are they all from Singapore? Are they more regional, more global? How does that work? Yeah, I would say like 90% of them are like from Singapore. Mm -hmm. The remaining 10% are like friends of friends who, are, who might not, who might want to learn about the more generic stuff like investments. We have Cathie Wood. Who will be who I'll be talking to this Saturday? Who's that? So, uh, Kathy Wood from Art Invest. Got it. Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. So we have a minister from from Singapore as well. We have some DeFi investors who are going to talk about crypto, and yeah. So I would say as a whole, we have pretty interesting speakers who are willing to share their thought process with our audiences, and yeah, we're happy to host them to share their ideas to the world, much like how you're doing this as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's the power of the internet, right? It helps you get, you know, your ideas out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's changed the way, I don't even want to call it an event, right? It's just changed the way that information can be disseminated. Yeah. And, you know, I was having a discussion with somebody this morning about the difference between being an actor in a play mm -hmm. and being a movie actor. There are multiple differences, but one of the big differences is that when the play is over, like it just kind of dies there. Yeah. And the only people that really have seen it are the people that were in the theater that night or during that week that it runs. And for better or for worse, a movie is there kind of forever because it's either printed on film or digitally distributed and it's just there forever, which means that way more people can see it, even if they don't see it instantaneously. Over time, it just mm -hmm. dribbles out to the masses. And I think that this is the big difference between 
having an event where a thousand people attend at SunTech, which is really awesome, and mm -hmm. having of some kind of virtual information dissemination gathering where five, six, seven thousand people can have it. But if it's recorded and you can't stop anybody necessarily from recording it on their own laptop if they just sit there and press record, yeah. what that means then is that it's kind of like it's not really greenfield information because it's probably topical, but it means for the next few months that anybody can watch it at any time. And it's just so much more powerful, yeah? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, again, the COVID situation, even now, now it's, it's come to over two years since, but yeah. it's really taught people to live in a in a new way, right? So, I mean, this these events used to be physical. You have to be physically present to do a recording. But now we're just, you know, jumping on the call and same for events and content, right? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. And the world's going to continue to evolve that way. I don't want to talk about the metaverse until, uh, until next year. We'll get to that later. Anyway, <laughs> I really want to thank you for doing this. Kenneth Liu, a co-founder and the CEO of Seedly. I learned a lot. This was actually really, really interesting. So I appreciate you coming and doing this today. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Michael, for having me.